We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. So I'm truly glad to be in the house with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We happen to be May 18th. 2020. The weather's great. Life is good. But we're still dealing with this strange thing called a cover for shelter and uh, a mandate to stay in our homes. And we're all trying to figure out exactly what governor of our state really is doing in terms of determining how the rollout should occur. And I, I'm going to be asking you the question in relationship to the people of God and worship. How important is it for us to get back to worship? I'll ask you the question, is worship merely a privilege? Is worship merely a, uh, if you will, a civil right? Or is the public worship of the living God by the people of God all over the world a mandate from God? Again, I want to Welcome you to our Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Giston. As you know, glad to be with you as often as I can to open up the week and to uh, encourage you, challenge you, provoke you, uh, if you will, spur you on to love and to good works and to challenge you in terms of what the Bible says should be how we conduct ourselves and more uh, recently what the Bible teaches concerning the topsy-turvy unstable times in which we live and how the people of God should engage these times to the glory of God. All right, you guys know, almost want to get past this, this is my opening comment around what's going on with the rollout. The governor has laid out a plan uh, for rolling out uh, the uh, liberties that we have so we can try to get back to normal. You guys know that he had a, uh, Governor Newsom had a four-part plan to reopen California um, from the coronavirus shutdown. Uh, he called stage one safety and preparedness had to do with the state the uh the state will build up testing tracing and uh equipment for hospital capacity that's the that's the highest priority stage one i guess they did that because we're at stage two now which is gradually opening some lower risk businesses workplaces adapted for social distancing and so kind of got your rules about curbside pickup for retail business, opening manufacturing businesses, office workers may return if telework is not possible, and then the increased access to public spaces. And uh, that's the second stage. And we have already done that one. And apparently we are 
on the brink of not already into the third higher risk workplace stage. In fact, I know we're there because Tesla basically said, you know, we're not paying you any attention. And he got back at it. And there were no significant consequences by the governor uh, because the governor does understand how money works. And that's going to speak to our point here in a moment relative to the importance and essential role of the local church in the community and the world, its rights and its mandate. But under the higher risk workplace uh, rollout plan, uh, we are to use restrictions on gathering sizes and other limits to reopen higher risk workplaces such as salons and gyms. They can open but with restrictions, sports without live audiences and movie theaters. And then you have your religious service to return in person settings. So we are right there at the hub of that third stage higher risk workplace scenario. And uh, the governor has not made any specific uh, affirmation or comments about it. And what that did was provoke a number of pastors to respond. I don't know if you guys kind of got the news or heard uh, some of the uh, media expression around that. It certainly was something that you could find in the Mercury News. Recently, uh, Bishop Bob Jackson of Axel Gospel had a meeting with several pastors, and he's vowing to open his 4,000-seat uh, sanctuary to worshipers on May 31st with or without the state government's blessings. As uh, Pastor Jackson, Jackson laid out from up and down California on Thursday, this was this recent Thursday, I guess a couple days ago, uh, last week, a couple days ago, uh, the question was raised why religious gatherings were excluded from Governor Gavin Newsom's early plans to ease COVID-19 restrictions. Relaxing rules against large gatherings such as church services is not in the first two phases of reopening California. And that's where we are now. We are basically on the brink of a of the third stage, but I uh, there are some pastors who have been extremely concerned. Those pastors, some who oversee mega churches, said that they will abide by all social distancing and infection control rules. We'll do everything the restaurants do and everything other places are doing. I don't see why we are being looked over and judged to be non-essential in a time like this. And uh, Mr. Jackson says it's foolish uh, as he was standing outside of his church. Churches and places of worship haven't been able to hold in-person in services since the coronavirus shelter-in-place orders were issued two months ago and may not be able to do so for weeks without violating health ordinances. And this is where the rub is, and this is where I want to have the conversation with you. He goes on to say, pastors representing uh, Bay Area and uh, Southern California churches came to Oakland on Thursday to apply pressure on the state to allow them to open their pews. Southern California-based attorney Robert H. Tyler said more than 1,000 pastors have signed a declaration to resume services on May 31st. May 31st is a symbolic day because it is a Christian holiday known as Pentecost, really a Jewish holiday, marking 50 days after Easter 
Sunday and the Holy Spirit's descent upon the apostles. Tyler has sued the state and federal courts on behalf of a congregation in Lodi. So far, however, any legal attempts brought against the state have been un- unsuccessful. In other words, you can you can sue the governor, but right now the liberal courts uh, are in the governor's uh, they're on the governor's side right now. A federal judge this month ruled that the state had the authority to prohibit in-person services during a state of emergency and denied three Southern California churches a temporary restraining order against the state's restriction. Tyler on Thursday said the courts and the state government have not provided justification for how a large retail store or grocery store is less dangerous than a church service. I agree with that. It's unlawful to treat religious organizations differently than how you would treat essential businesses, Tyler said. What we are going to see on May 31st is an old-fashioned showdown. Jackson said he is prepared to provide masks, gloves, and limited numbers of worshipers who come into the East Oakland Church and that he would follow uh, all of the uh, CDC's recommendations and guidelines. We all are going to do that. Uh, he says the drug stores are open, the liquor stores are open, and Bishop said we can do the math and make sure we have social distancing. I don't know why our governor doesn't think we have the IQ to be able to do the same thing, that we are not interested in the health of our people. And so, uh, again, the governor has not really responded to this in Mexico. Uh, they, they've done some things to kind of get around this same issue. Southern California uh, has had some citations rendered to them as a consequence of it. And I guess right now, in terms of what I want to talk to you guys about is, you know, where, where are you? When it comes to uh, basically uh, either your your pastors opening the doors right now or in the future or on May 31st, there's going to be quite a few pastors who are going to take a stand on May 31st to um, to to address uh, this particular grievance by having a, a gathering, by having a gathering. And, and some of the questions that I would raise to you as the members of a local church, or even if you guys are pastors, you can, uh, you can, you can give me a call. Love to hear from you. Do you believe that it is right to open up on May 31st as the rollout is taking place in spite of in spite of the fact that the governor has not given explicit approval to uh, allow the churches, along with sporting events, to have large uh, gatherings of people in the facility. Do you believe that it is the prudent thing to do? It's the wise thing to do. It's the right thing to do. That is the question that I'm raising. And while I am raising that, I do want to let you know something else that you you may not know. And that is that um, the uh, the Justice Institute that uh, that that we are very much uh, familiar with in terms of. uh, advocating for many groups is called the Pacific Justice Institute has uh, actually been part of uh, a real success around the churches in Oregon. Listen to this article. This is uh, from um, from uh, May 18th, just a couple of days ago. Brad Dacus, and you'll hear him on conservative talk shows, and you'll hear him on uh, on KFAX as well. Oregon judge declares pandemic orders null and void. Oregon judge declares pandemic orders null and void on May 18, 2020. Salem, Oregon, 
Here's the article. An Oregon judge ruled today that Governor Kate Brown's pandemic-related executive orders exceeded her authority. Now, you see the difference between this judge in Oregon and our judges in California? You see how important judges are? The case was filed by numerous churches and people of faith who were represented by the Pacific Justice Institute, and, and we call it PJ. They actually serve many of the churches here in the Bay Area. A very good group, been around for a long time, and I talked to you guys about that a while back, that there have already been institutions who understand our civil rights, who understand the Constitution, and have already been poised to go to war against draconian uh, measures and, uh, and unconstitutional uh, decrees by our governors, and that is exactly what happened here. It goes on to say the orders resulted in church business and school closings and required the citizens in Oregon to remain under virtual house arrest. The Oregon law gives the governor broad authority in emergency situations. However, that authority is of limited duration. The governor did not go to the legislature to seek additional time as required by law. In other words, here's what the J.I. says, the Justice Institute says. Here's what they say, that a governor, if he's going to have an extended period of time by which he employs or implements a shelter for cover, it has to actually be something that he seeks by the legislature as a uh, collective measure. He just doesn't get to do it by decree. The governor did not go to the legislature to seek additional time as required by law. So Brad Dacus, president of PJI, Pacific Justice Institute, stated, we are thrilled with the decision in Oregon and believe it upholds the rule of law by requiring the governor to comply with clear limitation place in statutes Attorneys for the governor are now vowing to appeal uh, the Oregon Supreme Court. Pacific Justice Institute is committed to seeing this case all the way through to its final conclusion. So there you go. Uh, the Oregon churches are wide open. And here we are in California uh, where a number of our pastors are about to, uh, to open up on the 31st. And my question would be to you, if you want to talk about it, is that a prudent thing to do? Is that a wise thing to do? And will you join them? one 329 That's going to be kind of where I start. Well, I'll start really from this standpoint. Basically, two or three questions that I'd love to engage you on. One is, how important is the public worship of the people of God? according to the scriptures, to you. Not just your opinion, not just your notion, but really what do you understand the Bible to teach about the nature of public worship as part of God's consistent and perpetual, as long as the world has been in existence, mandate for the people of God? How high a view does the Bible hold of the public gathering of the saints anywhere in the world? Is it just kind of a, a, a freedom we have, a privilege we have? Is it just kind of, a, you know, a good thing to do if we can do it? But if not, don't worry about it, because certainly there are a lot of Christians or professing Christians who hold that notion. When you study the word of God, the Bible, do you see in the Bible that God 
basically plays down the actual gathering of the people of God? Or does the Bible not teach that the gathering of the people of God have been from the beginning of time a gradual and incremental and essential part of the revelation of God in Christ to the world as a witness to the world and other means uh, by it? as something that God incrementally increased all the way up to the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then ultimately demanding that that public forum of synagoguing or the gathering of the ecclesia everywhere in the world be public through the proclamation of the gospel and establishing of discipleship in the local church, because that's what a local church is to be, a body of disciples, and the world gets to watch on and should it ever get cold or dark or hungry or in need can come to that lighthouse of public worship? Or do you view the public worship of God as something that can be discarded? Here are the three questions that we want to work through. And we, we want to talk through the implications of what will happen on May 31st. The importance of the public worship, the role it plays in the witness of God in the world, and the danger of a loss of that witness. One of the questions I'm raising to my own fellowship is, we've already talked about how we've had to deal with and negotiate the coronavirus. But really what I want to ask is, do you recognize that if there is a prolonged at length, uh, non-return to the formal structure of the gathering of the people of God, that there will be both social and personal serious spiritual implications? Do you recognize that? Love to hear from you. one 367 One more uh, question in relationship to these. Have you ever lived in a world or any part of the world where the witness of the public gathering of the saints was squashed, mitigated, denied, non-existent? And, and what did that feel like? What does it look like being in a world where there is no church, there's no preaching, there's no worship, there's no celebration, there's no gathering, there's no communion, there's no witnessing, there's no serving? What does that look like? And, uh, and I can tell you, uh, while that may not have been part of the original intention through this coronavirus, the net result of this overall kind of global shutdown has opened the door for government to discover how much power it can exercise over its citizens, even without deferring to and being subject to the Constitution. And here we are. So now we are at a brink in which the believer has to really ask, do I know anything about the absolute importance of the divine mandate for public worship or have I been manipulated and deceived by my own interest? And what if I should look up in the next year or two or decade or two and discover that our public worship has so diminished by virtue of all of the, uh, the, the plagues that are coming into our world that essentially it is not the same and never, ever will be. That's really what I want to talk to you about. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I got to take a break. When I come back, I'll take your phone calls on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Again, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is five eighteen on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to have you with us. 
the number is one 367 If you want to join the conversation, I'm talking right now about really how to think through and talk through and, and believe through these kind of precarious times. We will all agree that we're dealing initially with uh, the complexity of a plague, albeit if we really had the time to work through the coronavirus and the manner in which it entered into our world and abruptly stopped everything, many of us would know that we are dealing with something that was already anticipated. In many ways, it was fully demonstrated by movies as well as literature and conversations by people in, in the highest powers. Again, Dr. Fauci, being one of the representatives for uh, President Trump, had already spoken back in the Obama administration that uh, he expected a major plague of this sort, pandemic of this sort, to come out. So some of us are scratching our heads, and I'm speaking ironically right now about that, as to why and what was the end and aim of this anticipated and now well into the reality and fabric of our human experience was this plague uh, bestowed or uh, experienced by by the the whole globe? What, what's the end game? What's the what's the what's the objective? What is the overall um, overarching uh, response to it and the end game? So let's not right now we can make the assumption that we can't concretely blame it on anybody. We know its origin it was in China. We, we've known that before it even launched out here because the way our global medical institutions, our global uh, educational institutions, our uh, virologists and our Im immunization teams all work with these different labs around the world, we are very clear on uh, how high a probability rate and plausibility rate of uh, the escape of a virus and its uh, pandemic uh, implications on our world is. We know that. Um, so we can just start from the premise that a big accident occurred. But here we are now with a big accident. We are also very much aware that humanity has learned how to take crisis and use it as an opportunity for itself. And on a more local level, what we're dealing with right now is the four stage phases of Governor Newsom's rollout, bumping up against the rights of local churches who are wanting to exercise the normative practice of a gregarious gathering of the people of God in order for us to uh, recover our spiritual equilibrium, our, recover our spiritual health, and engage in what we know is not merely a privilege, but a mandate, albeit we do want to make sure that we engage in measures that would demonstrate an understanding of the real dangers of the coronavirus yet and still, though we are seeing a curb down in it. So I basically opened up asking several questions, and I don't mind your other uh, views. We do have one line open. I'm asking the, the question, what is your understanding of the importance of public worship biblically? What is your understanding of its role uh, in, the, in the society as a witness biblically? And what is your understanding of the danger of a prolonged loss of the practice of the people of God since the beginning of time of gathering weekly, sometimes twice in the week and sometimes twice on the weekend? And how important was the gathering of the people of God, particularly when truth was communicated 
in the shaping of the consciousness of our culture around us and the dissemination of biblical light, moral, ethical, spiritual, redemptive reality in the language and fabric of humanity uh, in our communities around the world. In other words, do you understand that when you put a light into the midst of a dark community, it diffuses into the society and has a, a metabolic impact uh, socially and psychologically and, and philosophically and, and therefore ethically and morally and, and spiritually as well. And if you take that light away, what in the world do you think is going to happen to the culture? One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. And um, since uh, Bob Jackson and several other churches have talked about opening up on May 31st, is your pastor going to do that and why? Or if you're a pastor, you can give me a call and tell me why or why not you are uh, going to observe or not observe that, uh, that, that, that May 31st date. Um, and by the way, before I go to the phone lines, I heard a little blip before our program started. I don't know if you heard it. President Donald J. Trump has been taking chloroquine along with zinc for the longest as a basic organic method for uh, for building his immune system and quelling the uh, the impact of the coronavirus. Now I don't know if you know this, but many of us have known about this particular method of dealing with uh, not particularly the coronavirus but the SARS virus impact for a long time. Now people on both sides of the aisle crying it works, it doesn't work, it works, it doesn't work. Your president is taking it. But you will be fit to be tied for the last two or three weeks, four weeks backwards to have gone into the grocery store or the local uh, pharmacy to find chloroquine or zinc to combine them together and get this benefit. How come? How, how come it disappeared? How come it was not promoted as a common over-the-counter uh, health measure for people who may not be able to uh, buy uh, medicine? And, and, and certainly right now, right, we don't have the ability uh, to, to, to be subject to a vaccine to deal with this horrible thing, particularly for people who are uh, in the danger range. How come our government or our media then just do a major blast on chloroquine and zinc? And how come the companies that can make chloroquine and zinc didn't just make, you know, tons of money out of an organic, natural, you know, non-guaranteed method of, of dealing with it? Why didn't they do that? What if they would have discovered that very that very basic element of chloroquine, which you, you with that and, and, and zinc, you, you could have got some zinc and some and some alka seltzer or some some soda water, or several things you could have used that would have created that metabolism that actually would have got into your uh, bloodstream and your blood cells because it has a basic effect to protect you. How come we didn't allow that basic organic product, which would have been so cheap? To be used without any guarantees, just subject everybody to have to wait on a virus. Because that's what we're doing now. We're waiting on, uh, not a virus, but uh, we're waiting on a vaccine. And that vaccine may or may not come. And between now and then, we're already at almost 100,000 people dead in America. Interesting, isn't it? All right, I'm giving you a ton of stuff to think about. It's time to go to the phone lines and begin to have conversations with you. Uh, let's go to Jermaine in Alameda on line one. Jermaine, are you there? Oh, hello, Pastor. Hey, what's going on, man? What's your thoughts and comments today? 
Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I think I'm on the side of opening up. And my reasons for opening up is because we're not seeing anything enforced properly anyway. I see people gathering at the bar. You know, there, there was literally a line to get into a lounge down the street from my house the, the other day. Right. And they have masks on. There's lines to get into Costco. Right. There's lines to get into the store. And I have a problem with the precedent that's being set where church is not essential, you know, according to whoever made that rule up, but, you know, other places are, like the liquor store and places where it's just destruction in neighborhoods and, and people are able to gather in there. I just don't think it's fair to continue this. I do. I also believe two things to be equally true. I, I know the virus is will, real. I've had family members be afflicted. However, I think releasing people with some restrictions, if, if we have our, our mask, our PPE, and keeping our distance, I don't see a problem with it. I don't know if I would uh, set an exact date, and I think it's situational, depending on what your particular immune system might allow you to do. But I think that it's important to gather, and I think people should be able to to make that decision themselves after a certain period of time. Um, mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. can't expect people to stay home with no money and no social outlet, you know, that, other than what they're feeding you on the news every day. And, and I'm seeing it being politicized to the point where I just turn the TV off. Right. And I don't even bother listening to a lot of this stuff anymore because it's the same thing over and over. And it's obvious they're trying to drive people to the polls yeah. get rid of their, their least favorite president, and we never hear, you're, you're one of the only people I've heard mention hydrochloroquine, hydrochloroquine. Yeah. no one else has said a thing about it. Yeah. You know, it, it, I mean, just the fact that he's taking it at all, and I, I'm not even, I'm independent on what side of the political parties you are, or political fence you're on, it, it's just, it's just become nauseous to me. So I prefer to let the people of God gather together and worship I think we do it safely and effectively. We're not going to be all over each other hugging and kissing. We're just going to go right. and worship and leave. Right. In in fact, I don't know if you're if you're if you you probably are you you know because you're part of Grace. You know where we're, we're we've been working on a plan. We got a complete system uh, worked out to be able to honor the saints in in that very process when we decide to roll out. And our rollout date is um, is is uh, January seventh, the following week, uh, of, of which a number of the churches are doing the thirty first. We're going to do the first Sunday, so we can observe the table together. But certainly, we've talked about and work through Jermaine, all of the legitimate, reasonable, uh, righteous, and careful methodologies and measures we would want to implement. It's the same thing, if you recall, uh, the week before we had to totally shut down, we actually had a congregational meeting after the service where we began to lay out the plans of, of splitting our services up so that we could have 250 in one service and 250 in the other uh, so we can have the ample room because we've got a large enough assembly for it. And that's what we're doing and in, in, in tightening up those measures. Uh, and I appreciate your observation about two other things, the inconsistency of the application that the governor is employing and the arbitrariness of it. It's really a slap in the face because, again, it's allowing institutions to open up where he's sensitive to some degree of the economic uh, strains that have already been massively employed through this process, and then the arbitrary opening up of places where people can party and club and things like that. So the governor's plan looks something like, let's make a little money and let's party, but not let's not worship. Let's make a little money and let's party, but let's not worship. And, and, and that's horrific. Uh, for me, 
The reason I'm bringing it up is because this is not new for the people of God throughout history. One of the goals of the enemy is to scatter the power of the of the people of God, and I'm and I'm glad you are um you you have a really good handle on 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 this perspective. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that before I let you go? No, you um hit on most of what I wanted to say. I will say that then this is probably where I get asked to leave certain family members' house, but to me. Gathering, as as we're told to do in Hebrews, is is for me personally is more important than even going to the polls in November because absolutely. I, not besides my distrust of most of those people, I know there's something powerful that I can't necessarily put into words that are appropriate when I meet with the people of God who are serious about talking about the word in church, out of church. You know, people stop you. Hey, can I pray for this? And they inquire. They they care about each other. And yeah, to me that's that's more important than anything, because when people are sick in the hospital and they're dying or they're in situations where they, they don't know if they're going to make it, your political party means absolutely nothing, and all the opinions of people mean nothing. It's just the Word of God that, that means anything. So that to me, that's, that's what's more important. Well said, brother. Well said. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got to take another break. Brother James, you hold on. Kina, you hold on. Clara, you hold on. We're going to press into this in this hour and press into it into the next hour as well. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Giston. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back. The time, 5.50 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to chime in or uh, contribute to our dialogue around the importance of public worship and the gathering of the people of God, uh, and our and our mandates given to cover and shelter and uh, the phase out of Governor Newsom not allowing congregations to be part of that initial early process. Jermaine made some excellent observations. He said the governor's rollout is arbitrary. I agree with that. It's inconsistent. I agree with that. And its values definitely disregard altogether the importance of worshiping communities in the middle of society. Let me go to line number two and we'll talk with James from the Bay. James, are you there? Hey, that's Jesse. How you doing, man? I'm great, man. What's going on? Well, you know, you uh, you brought up so much, so many uh, topics that can be unpacked. So we can just try to get in uh, to maybe a, uh, maybe just a couple of them. Okay. Firstly, the the right to be able to gather. Everybody, as a believer, knows our gathering together. Our gathering is essential, uh, okay. but it's no more essential as our uh, mandate to go out as well, right. go out to the highways, the byways. I think a lot of times. Our modern churches become, I should say, become too comfortable and complacent when gathering together that they miss out on the other part, the other command to go out and compel the lost to come in, as if though somehow or another their, I mean their command, I mean their their job is done once they gather together, when in essence that's just the beginning of our call. Is to gather okay. together. <laughs> so we need to, yeah, we definitely need to be able to gather together. Uh, as it comes to what churches are going to do on the 31st, obviously that's, uh, you know, you call it to our attention, that that would be the day of Pentecost. That would be an excellent day to come together. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we should, I, I mean, well, let me say this. I like what I'm hearing, what's 
happening uh, up in the Northwest in Oregon and how, with how important you said it was to have the right judges in place who Amen. ruled that obviously the governors, the governors overstepped their boundaries. In other words, yes, in the case of emergency, they have the right, but to extend that, they need to go through the legislative, legislative process. Yes. And obviously they didn't, they didn't do that. I mean, uh, uh, Oregon didn't do it. And obviously down here, Newsom hasn't done it either. Okay. And I think we're going to, but because of the, the liberal judges we have in California, like you say, they're in this corner right now. Yep. So, you know, we have to, in a sense, almost play by a different set of rules, if you will, uh, because to obey the laws. In other words, until we can get uh, the Pacific Justice Institute to uh, at least file a, you know, to sue them, even in suing them, we don't know if we will win or not. So I think we're in a precarious uh, position in California as far as the laws go, even if the governor is overstepping his boundaries. You know, right, but that's the nature of the battle. Do me a favor. I think your radio's up. Maybe you, or maybe that's my the, the station there. I'm getting some feedback, you guys. Um, but that's the, that's the, that is the precarious position, James, that the church is often in. Again, if you go back to the first century in the book of Acts, where the clashing of two kingdoms uh, was mandated by God, and that is the kingdom of God that came in the expression of the New Testament church over against the defunct kingdom of God represented by the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the the priesthood. When the, when the apostle Peter and James and John are preaching the gospel near the temple and in the temple uh, and healing and affirming the glory of God in Christ, you know, as you, as you know, the case of the lame man at the gate, beautiful, uh, they were told strictly that they should not preach in this man's name. And Peter plainly said, whether we obey God or man, you judge. But as far as we're concerned, we must obey God. And uh, as a fundamental principle uh, of of our discussion, one of the things that I'm stating is that there is no there's no uh, judicial or moral equivalence, quite frankly, between uh, the mandate to uh, to gather together and worship uh, at, at, in light of the governor's. Uh, mandate for us to cover and shelter and therefore neglect the importance of what the people of God do. To kind of put a modifier on your opening premise about going out into all the world with the gospel, those are two sides of the same coin that are indistinguishable. And what I mean by that is there is no going out into all the world with the gospel without first coming in and learning what the gospel is, becoming a gospeler, and then the gospel is just something that you and I do by virtue of who we are. Uh, so that the essential foundation for our identity is rooted in our gathering. We are the ecclesia, the called out. And every time a local church is actually called out explicitly and publicly, um, it is demonstrating the uniqueness of the ambassadorship of a local church in any community. The moment we disband, it is assumed that the disbandment means that every believer now is going to their own quarter, to their own homes, to their own jobs, to their own places of influence and being a believer. Because that's really what Christ meant. When he said go into all the world and preach the gospel, that word go in Matthew 28 is a, um, is a modifier. It's not a verb. Verb. 
It's actually an adjective. And literally what he is saying is as you go. And so while it is extremely important that we actually preach the gospel to the world, I, 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 my, my position has been a long time now that it is to be done organically. It is to be done intentionally, but in a way that, uh, that does not take on a lot of the superficial forms of, uh, of religious uh, harassment and uh, methodologies and techniques that really don't correspond with the way the first century church did it. I, just, I state that only because it, it's a sad reality that we would dichotomize witnessing the people from the standpoint of so loving Christ and so uh, being filled with the Spirit, no matter where we are, that whether in the church or out of the church, we're gospeling. But it is clearly laid out in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the gathering. And I, I, one of the things I tell the saints of God is that when Jesus comes back again, he's not coming to go into all the world. He's coming to gather the saints together. So every time the local church gathers, there is a prophetic witness to the world that they are still outside of the call to worship. That every time the people of God practically assemble in one place. And that's the reason the Holy Ghost came because they gathered together. You know this and filled them with the spirit of God. And that filling them with the spirit of God drew the other nations, 17 nations, wherein the Galileans spoke in their languages, the wonderful works of God. So the gathering of the saints is a mechanism for witness and attraction, as well as when we disband because we can't stay together, you know, uh, uh, in perpetuity until we get to glory. When we get to glory, no more evangelism. But once we disband, our goal is to reach men and women with the gospel. So your assessment of our not uh, sharing the gospel uh, with men and women, which is absolutely true, and that's a whole nother, uh, whole nother conversation. It has more. It has more to do with a failure for the local church to really develop and groom believers into uh, authentic disciples than anything else, and that's a sad reality. Do you have anything else to say before I let you go, my brother? Yeah. Let me ask you one other thing, Pastor. As far as our churches, for example, those, because I know there's a, a lot of, uh, con excuse me, there's congregations who have to rent property, but some of us are blessed to be able to either own our own property or, uh, or in the process of, you know, owning our own property. So sure. as private property, okay, of places where we come to worship publicly, shouldn't we have more say-so? For example, no one's going to come into our house of worship and redefine what it is we do. You know, you as a leader of your house, my pastor leader is his house. We're not just going to allow anybody to come in and tell us what we can and cannot do because that, that, that position is reserved by the Lord. Okay, so shouldn't we as churches that own our own property be able to come together, uh, and I think that's what the argument is, within, within the boundaries of the law, within social distancing, to still worship as opposed to being... Uh, completely shut down, I mean, because right. we, we have the wherewithal to, you know, govern ourselves according to the, the scriptures and the law of the land? Yeah, I think I think I, I think the answer would be a yes and no. Just you know, because I'm a pastor that deals a little bit with the legal elements, but uh, a lawyer who understands these kind of uh, 
uh, areas more particularly can call in and confirm. And we do have them who listen. Uh, yes and no. We we do have the right under the constitutional uh, principle of gathering to assemble, whether it is on private property or on public property to have the uh, the the boundaries to to behave and function in a way that would be within the uh, keeping of our constitutional rights. But government will always have a precedent over bad behavior, dangerous behavior, behavior that would jeopardize the larger citizen citizenry of the world. We would never be able to uh, gather together as some cultic group and sit up and make bombs or some cultic group and sit up and, 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 and you know, molest children or some cultic group that does a, a bunch of the, you know, diabolical stuff that has gone on in the world from the beginning of time by aberrant cultic, occultic, uh, you know, abominable groups. So there is a, a line drawn between private property and we can do whatever we want to on our private property and the fact that we are still within the sphere of that that government, whether it's local or national. That always has been the battle, and it will continue to be the battle. And this is where, for me, uh, James, the believer has to operate out of New Testament apostolic principles that allow them to live in the world and not be of the world and be able to navigate the tension between the laws of men and the laws of God. Uh, the laws of God, as clearly laid out and articulated by the apostles, uh, overcome uh, zealot, uh, arrogant, pompous, separatist, egotistical, self-righteous, uh, uh, occultic behavior that is not becoming of the gospel, uh, which is one of the reasons why Jerusalem was destroyed, as we're learning in the book of the Revelation, dealing with um, uh, the way God deals with, with apostate churches. Uh, and that's why uh, Israel, Israel, in terms of the temple and their identity politics, was com completely obliterated and sent and scattered to the four winds. What God says is, when you are a witness for me, you may have, you may have property, and in fact, it's all God's property, and you know that. Israel uh, was, the land was lended to Israel. The Bible's explicit. It's not the land of Israel. Uh, that's a whole nother argument. It's not the land of Israel. Israel had the property loaned by God, Leviticus 25 and 26. It's God's land. And God says, you are, you are landlords on my land and you got to act right because you are a witness. And I expect Gentiles to come in and become proselytes and become believers by your good conduct. Conversely, when the church uh, was scattered to the four winds uh, through the preaching of the gospel, as we have in the book of Acts. Christ expects every local church to behave itself in its society with dignity and respect and with the decorum of uh, New Testament apostolic principles, honor all men, love the brethren, fear God, and honor the king. Uh, and, and, and there are very clear ethical rules that allow us to engage in the tension of submitting to the ordinances of the land, understanding that God is in control of the king, and yet at the same time, should they cross the line, we have to prayerfully and wisely and deliberately let them know that they have crossed the line, and then we have to look to see how God in his sovereignty would engage that particular battle, which has occurred across the nation and around the world over and over again. That's a long version to give some history as to how the church has made it up to this day in a world where sometimes we've had property and sometimes we have not had property and still have had to deal with the uh, teeth and uh, poison and asp of the government uh, seeking to encroach and impose upon us 
um, its own uh, its own will. Ultimately, we are foreigners and pilgrims in this world, and what we appear to own is really uh, is really contingent upon God's providence in our life. Uh, but having said that. Uh, every local church is really protected by how we submit to the parameters and boundaries of God's word, no matter what the governor says. So when the governor uh, has to deal with what's about to happen on the 31st, he's not going to have too much of an advantage uh, being able to de determine whether or not we're on private property, public property, school property like we are. Um, if he finds that when he sends his cronies into our communities, he's going to find us obeying all of the mandates that are required for social distancing so that we will be conducting ourselves just like any uh, grocery store or just like any uh, retail store or just like any uh, food chain. We'll be doing the exact, exact same thing, only we will be worshiping our God and he will then have to face the providence of God and the judicial process if he wants to try to uh, uh, be discriminatory towards our right to worship. Listen, I got to take a break. Thank you for the call, brother. Kina and Clara, you hold on. Two lines open, one 888 Great conversation, brother James. Uh, one 888 Two lines open, paying some bills. I'll be right back. 